So before we get started, welcome, welcome. Our book this week was All God's Children Need Traveling Shoes by Maya Angelou. And listen, first and foremost, if you have the nerve to read a Maya Angelou book and learn something and be moved, have the nerve to also keep a dictionary handy because this woman gives Webster a run for her money, okay? Talk about SAT words, ooh-wee. And sometimes I get mad, to be honest, because it's like, Mama Maya, I just want to read, okay? Why I gotta learn? Why? Anyways, let's move on and get into this book. Our first segment is Hate It or Love It. And of course, I loved this book uh, for a couple reasons. Obviously, Maya Angelou is legendary. She is the original phenomenal woman. Um, But the subject matter sent me down memory lane. So I really love this book. Five stars. Absolutely recommend this reading. Um, In this story, Maya Angelou is an African-American woman in Africa. Imagine. She's in the motherland after being estranged from her birthplace for generations. And to some people, that means nothing. Um, But to other African-Americans, this is huge. Not everybody's going to get it, and that's fine. But really, this story resonated with me. And I want to talk about it. So here we go. Let's get started. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. This is a memoir. So these are the true accounts of experiences that Maya Angelou had when she was abroad um, as an Afro-American in Africa. Um, So these are some of my favorite parts. Um, Like I said, this sent me down memory lane, and we'll talk more about that a little later. But um, in this quote that I'll read, uh, Maya is experiencing something that I also encountered when abroad in Africa, uh, where as an American, and a black American specifically, you sometimes encounter undeserved praise and undeserved scorn alike like a person will know you and love you immediately because of where you're from and because of what you represent to them or hate you for the very same reason and it have very little to do with who you actually are um and so that it's a curious thing um to experience and so Maya Angelou reflects on that moment in those moments because she had many of these experiences uh and she goes The incident brought me close to another facet of Ghana, Africa, and of my own mania. The woman's cruelty activated a response which I had developed under the exacting tutelage of masters. Her brown skin, curly hair, full lips, wide fling nostrils notwithstanding, I had responded to her as if she was a rude white sales clerk in an American department store. Was it possible that I and all American blacks had been wrong on other occasions? Could it be... Could the cutting treatment we often experience have been stimulated by something other than our features, our hair and color? Was the odor of old slavery so obvious that people were offended and lashed out at us automatically? Had what we judged as racial prejudice less to do 
with race and more to do with our particular ancestors' bad luck at having been caught, sold, and driven like beasts. The receptionist and I could have been sisters, or in fact, might be cousins far removed, yet her scorn was no different from the supercilious rejections of whites in the United States, in Harlem and in Tulsa, in San Francisco and in Atlanta, in all the hamlets and cities of America, black people maimed, brutalized, abused, and murdered each other daily, and particularly on bloody Saturday nights. Were we only in vainly trying to kill that portion of our history which we could neither accept nor deny? The questions temporarily sobered my intoxication with Africa. Listen, okay. This is why I love this woman because there are some things that she says and her phrasing is just so, oh my God, it's just so damn. Like, what is even the word? It just punches you in the chest. She said, Were we only and vainly trying to kill that portion of our history which we could neither accept nor deny? Oh no, that was just so, so powerful um, and, and really resonated with me. Um, just because it's like, and maybe this is delusional of us, but I feel like we as black people, black Americans specifically, romanticize Africa in a lot of ways. And I think it's because of our orphan status in America where it's like, we feel out of place. We don't feel at home. And for me personally, the first time I felt American was when I actually left America and my nationality was a factor. Whereas in America, we're all here. And so the differences concern something other than your being American most times. Um, it's more so racial differences that we tend to harp on. So when you go to Africa and everybody's the same race, it's like, oh, we're good, no problems, right? And it's like, nah, you a different kind of black. You're not like me. I'm not like you. I don't, I don't know if I like you. And that was just such a, such a curious thing. And I, and I love the way that she put that. Um, and I love the way that she reflected on the complex that that creates in our minds about the things we believe about ourselves and the ways that we relate to each other as a result of those beliefs. Um, let's move on. Um, later in the book, she goes on to say, um, she's, she's conversing with her friends in this particular quote, and she's a part of a group of African-Americans who are living in Africa. So they're all kind of like in the same or similar position of being in Africa as, a, as black Americans and having their separate but similar experiences. And they're all talking. Um, and one of her friends, Vicky, says this, what Africa needs is help. After centuries of slavers taking her strongest sons and daughters, after years of colonialism, Africa needs her progeny to bring something to her. Hmm. Another woman goes, I've never seen Africa as a woman, and somewhere I resent the use of any sexual pronoun to describe this complex continent. It's not he or she, it's more of an it. Uh, later, another one of her friends goes, the Sahara continues to eat up arable land at a frightening rate and nomadic people continue to herd cattle, which eat every blade of 
grass that pops up. What the continent needs is about 500 artesian well diggers and about 500 agronomists. So this is a dictionary moment, right? Like, what is that even? Um, moving on. That would have been a gift to bring. And so I'm reading this like, hmm, maybe that's what Africa needs, right? And then you think about the fact that the things that have been determined to be needed by Africa are being determined by non-Africans. And it made me think like, hmm, do we as black Americans have patronizing attitudes toward Africa? And the answer is yes. In some ways, we definitely do. And, and not just us. Like, most people have patronizing attitudes toward Africa. Because it's like, who are we to decide what Africa needs? A lot of the issues, and this is maybe patronizing for me to even make this assumption, but a lot of the issues with the continent today, I feel like, are a direct result of intervention from people who just have no place there like your opinion doesn't matter your intervention is not necessary thanks but no thanks we're good on the help um and so that was that was another thing where it's like wow we think of africa in the sense of like our home even though we've never really been there we don't truly feel that we belong there once we get there which is the experience that maya has often had as well as her friends um, but we still think we know what's best. And so all these questions are, are swirling in, our, in my head. Um, and it just made me think about the fact that we really do have an entitled sense of <sighs> what our welcome in homecoming should be like once we get to Africa. It should be grand. There should be fanfare, you know. Um, and we do believe, like as black Americans, and at least this is something that I hear often in conversation where to, to Maya's friend's Vicky point, Maya's friend Vicky's point of um, the strongest sons and daughter having been taken away from Africa by slavery. It's like, who's to say we were the strongest? They, they've been doing quite all right without us. We a little butt hurt that they didn't come get us, send out no rescue efforts to come save the sons and daughters that were taken away but the fact that we believe ourselves to be the strongest and bright and brightest that were stolen that that really implies a lot about what we believe is left of the continent and the people who remain um all that to say that at the very same time that sometimes our attitudes toward africa and about africa can be problematic um, overall, I feel like the underlying belief is that uh, we do think Africa is, is where we belong, in a sense. And um, there's a sense of yearning. So let's move on to the next quote. Um, and this was one of my favorites. This is more of an interaction. So what's happening in this next part is that <clears throat> Maya is out. I think she's like having drinks somewhere and she is an observer. And there are a lot of people who are arguing. It's a heated debate. Um, and there are so many opposing viewpoints about the state of African politics, Ghanaian politics specifically. Um, let's not think of Africa as 
I'm not going to refer to Africa as the continent because this is this is a particular country within the continent of Africa that we're talking about specifically. So she's in Ghana, um, and so there are Ghanaians who are arguing, and some of them are professors, and they're from everywhere, and they're really intelligent professionals, and again, they're having a heated argument. And um, this took me back to when I was in South Africa for a time and this was something that I noticed and something that I fell in love with. Um, totally different country, but the fact that uh, this was also an experience that Maya had was really interesting to me, uh, where these people are arguing and they're talking about things that would just be so contentious here and people would be like just so angry and there's almost we all know that phrase here where you don't, you don't discuss like politics and religion and certain things and conversations are taboo. It's not like that um, in South Africa when I was traveling there and it, it doesn't seem to be that way in Ghana according to the experiences that Maya has recounted in her, mem in her memoir here. Uh, they could be fighting about these things that are so important and, near t and dear to them things like leadership and democracy and politics, and they're still discussing it openly and passionately, passionately, and it's not divisive. Um, so that is just really cool to me. I've, I found um, South Africans and many of the people that I met while I was there to be very, very diplomatic in the way that they conversed with one another and in the way that they disagreed with one another about the things that mattered to them and to everybody, and, and that was something that I admire, and I think that's something that we could definitely learn to do better here, because obviously, man, our politics get out of control, especially with that damn thing in D.C., in the White House. Uh, moving on, before I get mad. Um, while the Africans in this interaction were having a really like jovial conversation, and they were passionate but they were still like not angry Maya was getting pissed so this was hilarious hilarious um, let me find a quote at some point she gets fed up right they're having this conversation they're going back and forth and they're good they're fine Maya as the observer at some point is like oh hell no I'm gonna intervene right they were having a conversation about African Americans at this point and so she was taking it very personally because she did not appreciate what they had to say. The Europeans and the African joined in. They're talking. Um, they had assassinated my people. This is Maya. They had assassinated my people as well as my new country. I looked at the steward. Oh, excuse me, I made a mistake. In this particular scene, they were discussing Ghana, but Maya Angel at this point identifies with Ghana so much that she feels defensive over Ghana and the conversation is happening about Ghana. So they're not talking about African-Americans, they're talking about Ghana. <laughs> so she goes, I looked at the steward, but his face was passive and his eyes focused on the open door. I raised my voice and said, obviously you people think you've got all the answers. Well, you should wait until somebody who really cares asks you a question. You don't know a damn thing about black Americans and I resent every stupid thing you've said. It wasn't going well at all. My brain was not responding properly. I needed to be sharp, 
cutting and politely rude in order to reach their hardened ears, and all I had done was blubber. I said, you people are idiots, and you dare speak of Ghana, you rejects. <laughs> I was surprised to find myself standing, and my voice loud and screeching. You left your old, cold-ass countries and came here where you've never had it so good. Now you've got servants and you can bathe more than once a month. It's a pity more of you don't take advantage of the opportunity, you stinking bastards. <laughs> Rage piloted me to the door. And don't say a word to me. I'll slap the water out of all of you. <laughs> I always knew that fury was my nap. Wait, hold up. Let me stop. I can't keep reading. Imagine Maya Angelou told somebody she going to slap them. <laughs> I was tickled. Okay, listen. I always knew that fury was my natural enemy. It clotted my blood and clogged my pores. It literally blinded me so that I lost peripheral vision. My mouth tasted of metal and I couldn't breathe through my nostrils. My thighs felt weak and there was a prickling sensation in my armpits and my groin. I longed to drop on the path to my office, but I continued ordering my reluctant body forward. This was so funny to me and I was like, listen, sis, I get it. Sometimes people just piss you off and you got to let them know. Uh, but that was so funny to me. And um, this moment ends where um, there's a young man who actually pulls Maya to the side and, and helps her to realize that she doesn't have to take things so personally. Uh, but again, this was so funny. She's talking about slapping folks. I just love her so much. Rest in loving peace, Mama Maya. She always had the ability to get some people together. And even though in that moment... She probably wasn't like entirely proud of herself because she didn't feel like she handled it well. Kudos, because some people need to be told and some people need to be slapped, to be honest. Um, but yes, Fury is also my natural enemy. So I definitely identify with that. Um, couple more quotes. Um, but uh, just to close up that, that scene, um, it ends, like I mentioned, where a young boy gives her some advice about how to just kind of let things fall to the side and not to take things so seriously. And I just loved that. It was so sweet of him um, to share his kind words. He encouraged her. He let her know to not take things so personally. And, and she really did need, in that moment, the acceptance and the security that, that he provided her. So I loved that. The story progresses further, um, and um, the book is sort of coming to an end when this particular uh, quote happens. Um, but essentially, Maya Angelou is starting to miss home, right? She's in Africa because of the state of political unrest in America, and there's a whole bunch going on. The civil rights movement, movement is happening. Um, Dr. King is active at this point. Malcolm X is active at this point. Um, Malcolm X had come to Ghana, um, and she recounts that story as well in this particular book. Um, but at some point, she starts to get homesick, and she starts to miss America. Um, and it's so interesting to me because I also had this experience where it's like, damn, I wanted to get away from here. There was nothing that I wanted more than to leave at some point. Uh, but you do miss home. You do miss America. Um, you do miss the thing that we have to offer that can be so ugly, but also so beautiful at times. Um, and so 
Let me find it. Okay, here it goes. It says, homesickness was never mentioned in our crowd. Who would dare admit a longing for a white nation so full of hate that it drove its citizens of color to madness, to death, or to exile? How to confess even to one's own self that our eyes, historically customed to granite buildings, wide paved avenues, chromed cars, and brown, black, beige, pink, and white-skinned people often ached for those familiar sights. We chewed the well-spiced pork of America, but in fact, we were ravenously devouring Houston and Macon, Little Rock and St. Louis. Our faces eased with sweet delight as we swallowed Harlem and Chicago South Side. Oh, I remember what happened here. Um, Maya and her friends were being freeloaders because one of their friends in the group had gotten a shipment of some really good food. So they went to his house and he's like, mm, why are you here? Who told you? Um, but yeah, she's, she's reflecting on home. Food will do that to you. Um, but I just, I love the way that she put that. I really did. It was, it was so, just, again, her word choice and the way that she puts those things together. It's like, yes, thank you. I needed this. There was, there was no way that I could say this so well um, and just articulate that love-hate thing that we have with the USA. Ah, man. She goes on to say, and this is, this is later on in the book, but still on the same subject of nostalgia and, and missing America. Um, they're marching at this point. W.E.B. Du Bois has just passed away. Um, and they are having a protest in Ghana at the American embassy at the very same time that the March on Washington is happening in America. They staged it that way to happen at the same time in solidarity. And she goes on to say, we were scorning the symbol of hypocrisy and hope. There was a, um, a group of soldiers who had just put up the American flag um, and the symbol of American patriotism, among other things. Um, <clears throat> and she goes, as the flag ascended, our jeering increased. A careful listener could have heard new vehemence in our shouts. New vehemence of our shouts. We were scorning the symbol of hypocrisy and hope. Many of us had only begun to realize in Africa that the stars and stripes was our flag and our only flag and that knowledge was almost, and that knowledge, excuse me, let me go back. Many of us had only begun to realize in Africa that the stars and stripes was our flag and our only flag, and that knowledge was almost too painful to bear. We could physically return to Africa, find jobs, learn languages, even marry and remain on African soil all our lives, but we were born in the United States, and it was the United States which had rejected, enslaved, exploited, then denied us. It was the United States which held the graves of our grandmothers and grandfathers. It was in the United States, under conditions too bizarre to detail, that those same ancestors had worked and dreamed of a better day by and by. There we had learned to live on the head of burnt matches and sleep in holes in the ground in Arkansas and Kansas and Chattanooga, Tennessee. We had decided to be no man's creature in Dallas, we put our shoulders to the wheel and our hands in God, God's hand in Tulsa. 
We had learned the power of power in Chicago and met in Detroit, insatiable greed. We had our first loves in the corn breaks of Mississippi in the cotton fields of Georgia. And she goes on and on and on. Um, I shudder to think that while we wanted that flag dragged into the mud and sullied beyond repair, we also wanted it pristine. It's white stripes, summer cloud white. Watching it wave in the breeze of a distance made us nearly choke with emotion. It lifted us up with its promise and broke our hearts with its denial. Damn. It lifted us up with its promise and broke our hearts with its denial. We hurled invectives against the soldiers retreating backs, knowing that the two young men were not our enemies and that our sneers did not hide our longing for full citizenship under that now undulating flag. Damn. Like, wow. Wow. Because we do love America. We just, we love what America could be. We just hate what it has been. That's, that's really what it is. And oh, who could say it better? No one. That's who. Last quote. Because I could just read this whole book again. Black American insouciance. Is that the word? Somebody will tell me. Was the one missing element in West Africa. Courtesy and form, traditional dignity, respectful dismissal in history, or the apparent ropes holding their society close and nearly impenetrable. But my people had been unable to guard against intrusions of any sort, so we had to develop audacious, audacious defenses, which lay just under the skin. At any moment, they might seep through the pores and show themselves without regard to propriety, manners, or even physical safety. I had missed those thrilling attitudes without being aware of their absence. Listen. <laughs> In this part of the book, she's talking about missing black Americans. Um, because black people don't got no coos at all, mostly. Not all of us, but some of us don't got no coos. And um, <laughs> I also found Africans to be very, very proper and um, diplomatic and and mannerable, um, some of them. And I, I too longed for home at some point as much as I had come to appreciate them. And so that's where I'll end my fave quotes. And I will move on to our emotionally intelligent word of the day. With everything I just said, um, that word that Maya gave us in all God's children need traveling shoes brings us to the word of the day, which is alienate. That was the feeling um, that I was feeling from Maya when she was there, she felt very alienated. Um, I too felt alienated before I felt at home and then later felt alienated again um, just because of feeling stuck between the two worlds and not quite belonging in either place. Um, and that and that's the, the situation of black America and black Americans. We're, we're orphans and Africa doesn't quite feel like home because culturally we're different in terms of, of linguistically we're different um, but America sometimes doesn't feel like home either 
at least we don't feel welcome in this home, even though this is the only home we've ever known. Um, and so alienate is the word. And alienate is to cause to feel isolated or estranged. Um, I won't go on and on and on because it's very obvious why that would be the word. Uh, but I just think those emotionally intelligent words of the day are important, important because we'll keep building up our emotionally emotional vocabulary so that we can get our emotional intelligence quotient up. So what? Why does this matter? It matters always. It matters always. Um, yeah, I think the introspection that Maya Angelou is so good at doing and the way that she's so good at sharing the things that she's gone through and just articulating the things that, that I never could about the things that I'm feeling or the things that I'm dealing with it's just important. Um, and so I needed this moment of just, I, I just, uh, she blessed me with this book. She blessed all of us. So, so definitely read it. Um, thanks for listening to, to my random rants and musings and my, my random walk down memory lane as I walk with Maya on her journey in Ghana. Um, Thanks for walking with me a little bit and hearing a little bit about what I experienced while in South Africa. Let's move on to the shout outs. First and foremost, shout out to the beautiful, the iconic, the inspiring Marguerite Annie Johnson, Miss Maya Angelou. I've always thought of her as like my fairy godmother. Um, definitely has like this maternal spirit and presence. Um, anybody who has read her works or has known her just has this love and respect and admiration for her. So rest in loving peace. Um, I've loved this woman dearly and cherished her deeply since I read her first memoir. Her work, her journey, her ability, and really her willingness to share her stories has always really moved me and challenged me to just do better. Honestly, we don't deserve her. Um, and we're so lucky. I'm so grateful. So shout out to Maya Angelou. Um, shout out also to organizations that are doing the work. We have the Immigration Advocates Network, which provides resources for nonprofit advocates, organizers, service providers, as well as resources for pro bono attorneys representing immigrants. Um, shout out to the Immigration Advocates Network and any other organization that's flourishing in protest of the German Shepherd in the kennel at 1600 Pencil at Pennsylvania Avenue. Shout out to Maya Angelou and the Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity, as well as the Legacy of Hope Foundation, which provides medical care and facilities for underserved children and communities around the world. So sidebar, I really don't like the word underserved because when it's used in reference to people, it's too close to the word undeserved, which is not really a word, <laughs> but... All people deserve access to quality health services. Um, so yeah, even though that's not a word, undeserved, underserved makes me think of it. Um, anyway, moving on. Get involved with these organizations and do your part because they are certainly doing theirs. Um, that's all I've got for this week. So I'm going to close it out by saying thanks for listening. Check me out next week and tweet me at Bantu Book Review.
again, tweet me at Bantu Book Review. Uh, uh, uh.